This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, on your radio, Friday afternoon, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Koylach, Rosh Kodesh. Uh, Tammuz, warm welcome to all of you, and of course the operative word being warm, because it isn't so warm outside in the weather, but Baruch Hashem, we have a warm environment together, Baruch Hashem, here in, in, in the studio, and Vez Hashem, we are going to be sharing a few words of Torah together as we prepare for a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. And of course, the headline of this week's Parsha is, of course, the whole argument between Kairach and, and, uh, and, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu. And they say over in the in name of Rav Yonis and Ibishitz, who was the Rav of Prague in the first half of the 18th century, and we know that he had a very, very, very hard time, and he was all kinds of false accusations were made against him as if he was a follower of the movement of Shabsai Tzvi, who we know was one of the false, uh, 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 uh you know, those who pretended to be Mashiach who lived in the year 1626 to 1676. And Rabbi Yannison once said to those who were close to him, it's well known before the Rabbi Nishalaylam that if they would tear all my flesh off my, of my, uh, of my, uh, let's go, my skeleton, there would be no blood that would flow because it's all been sucked dry by all the, all the, all the murderous different, uh, uh complaints and accusations that have been made against me for, over, over, over the years. But he says, I comfort myself with the fact that there were some people who were even greater and better than me, that they also uh, uh, had a, were suspected of things that they had never done. I mean, who's greater than than Rabbeinu? That those who wanted authority, those who wanted positions in Christ, uh, 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 suspected him of all sorts of things that were absolutely false. And that's obviously talking about the argument of 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 Kairach. He says, but all this, with all this, he says, he added sadly, there's one thing that really, really upsets me. And that is by the Machlekes of Kairach. So Yaakov, you know, especially for Rachemim on himself, that his name should not be mentioned. It doesn't mention uh, uh, Yaakov. Yaakov shouldn't be associated at all with this terrible, terrible Machlekes. But he says, unfortunately, in the machlekas that spreads in our Ethraqilis at this at this time, it's it's specifically Yaakov who's standing at the head of those who are accusing him. And of course he was referring to the, the very great Rav Yaakov Emden, who was the head of the uh, opposition to 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 Rav Yonison, to Rav Yonison Abishitz. It's brought that the the, the Chazanish was once uh, uh, asked to come to a, a nearby town to to paskin a a a question of of kashos on a certain animal, and so obviously it was a long walk to 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 that nearby town, and he went straight to the to the butchery and he looked at the animal from every aspect and he paskin whatever it is that he paskin and as. He was about to uh, go home, so the bitch, the butcher, asked him to wait a minute, and uh, he was going to organize at his own cost a carriage with uh, with two horses in order to take the rav home. And the chazanish refused absolutely to to accept such a request, and he said to him, "In Pashas Kairach, Rabbeinu." Uh, uh, it's kind of uh, uh, justifies himself before Hashem and says, "I never ever took a donkey from them." And we find also in in Shmuel, Shmuel Anavi says, "Did I ever take someone's ox? Did I ever take someone's donkey?" And 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 who would think what, uh, that that the great leaders Moshe Shmuel are going to steal someone's animal? How could that be possible? He says no. What it means was that Mustama Moshe Rabbeinu was called to Pascha Nishayla, Shmuel had a Pascha Nishayla, and uh, they wanted to give him a lift home afterwards, which of course uh, they refused. 
because they didn't want to have any benefits for, for paskening their questions. You don't, you don't want to take favors for that. That might create a situation where you're no longer objective. And therefore, my salva, similar bottom, I learned from my, our great forebearers that thank you very much. I'll come home in exactly the same way that I that I that I arrived here. We'll be back in a moment with so much more amazing Torah. This one one point nine high FM soul to soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb only on one hundred one point nine high FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Salt to Salt, back on your radio here on Erev Shabbos, Kodesh Pashas, Kodach, Rish Kodesh, Tamas. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being part of our radio family and being inspired as we get ready for this Shabbos. So let's speak about a mitzvah that actually finds its way into this Pasha, kind of by the back door. We almost wouldn't have realized that such a mitzvah exists. Moshe Rabbeinu is being challenged by Kodach. And Moshe Rabbeinu makes the following declaration. And he says, If these people die like the death of all men, and the destiny of all men is visited upon them, then Hashem did not send me. And this wasn't really the first time that someone usurped the authority of Moshe Rabbeinu, but his reaction this time was rather atypical. He asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu that this group be dealt with a punishment which was both unusual and very, very stark. It was important for all the people to know that Moshe was Hashem's chosen leader and that he made every decision under HaKadosh Baruch Hu's direction. The, the, the hearsay that was expounded by Kairach must be put to rest in a manner such that it would be recorded in the hearts and the minds of Klaisa that Moshe's nevuah, Moshe's prophecy may not be denied. Interesting, the Chazal, Mornadorim in Daf Lama Testament Beis, Learn from here that Bikur Cholim, visiting the sick, is alluded to in the Torah. Says, if the, if these men die like all men, what does that mean? They become ill and, as Mark says, are visited after the visit of all men, then Hashem has not sent me. Moshe is indicated, according to where Chazal is learning it here, that most people become ill, are visited during their illness prior to succumbing to the illness. Chazal interpret the word yipokeid, means is visited upon them, that an ill person is visited during his illness. Apparently, the phrase ufukudas kal adam yipokeid alehem, is somehow related to visiting the 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 ill, <coughs> and uh, Rav Chaim Torta Shlita, he uh, says over a story, from which he gleans a deep understanding of the relationship of Pekida Yipokeids that Ufkudas, those two words which together with visiting the ill. Says, uh, uh, Chacham Suleiman Mustafi Zatzal was one of the biggest Mekubalim in Yushalayim during the earliest 20th century. And for the duration of an entire year, <coughs> he would visit one of Yerushalmi's, one of Yerushalayim's distinguished Rabbonim who had become seriously ill and was confined to bed every Friday night. Following davening, he would stop by the Rav's house to spend an hour discussing issues confronting the Jewish community and asking the Rav for his sage advice. All this was carried out prior to Rav Solomon's going home to make Kiddush. Considering the extra time it took to walk to the Rav's house and the duration of the time spent there, the Solomon family and his Tamidim 
waited an hour and a half longer than other families. No one complained, but the Talmudim, who always valued the opportunity for learning, wanted to know why he spent so much time visiting the Rav. The Chacham explained, the Rav who I visit every Friday night is a great Talmud Chacham who would ordinarily leave the shul on Friday night accompanied by a throng of followers all thirsting for knowledge who would pepper him with questions on, on halacha or to get his advice. Now that he's ill and bedridden, in addition to the pain generated by his illness, he is also dispirited over being alone. Therefore, even though subjecting them to wait for me places a burden on my family, I am during this hour performing the mitzvah of Bikocholim, visiting the sick in accordance with with the uh, with with our locha says I must do. So this little story kind of underscores the meaning of Abikuchoidim. It's not about walking in, greeting, talking a few minutes, and leaving. The mitzvah of is about filling the bedridden person's needs. We have to ask ourselves, what is he, she, missing most? What does he or she need? Visiting the ill should not be about just sort of assaging the visitor's guilt feelings, but about filling the void in the life of the choyle. And that's why the Torah chose the words pekida, which is synonymous with chisaron, a, a deprivation, something that's deficient, something missing, as uh, as uh, we see later in Vashas uh, Matas, and not a man of us is, is missing. We are, we are begged to make the difference in the Choyle's life by filling what is absent, whatever's lacking in his present, uh, situation. Rav Ayur Levine, we know is reverently known as the Tzaddik of Yushalayim, devoted his life to the pursuit of all things Chesed, especially in the areas from which others shine away, in prisons, leper colonies, Mental health wards, he focused on the forgotten and the, and the ignored. He sought to fill the void that most of these lonely people needed most, which was friendship. They knew that in him they had someone who truly cared. For example, and this is just one, one vignette, Ravarie would visit the mental wards were individuals who had suffered serious emotional challenges were treated until they were able to return to society. And of course, these were the lucky ones who at least knew they had a problem and were willing to do something about it. One day he saw a poor soul who was covered with black and blue welts and bruises. Needless to say, Ravarie became interested in this man's welfare. He asked what had happened to him. So the other patients explain, you see, we're all ill. We're all strung out beyond our, our emotional, our emotional ability to cope. And we're here for treatment. And there are difficult moments when we lose it and become wild. And the orderlies have to restrain us forcibly. And at times it gets out of hand. They even have to subject us sometimes to corporal beatings in order to control us. We all have family and relatives with whom the orderlies do not want to hassle. Therefore, the beatings are not injurious. But this man, however, has no family. So the orderlies, right, expend all their frustration on him. Whenever they have a really terrible day, they release their frustration on him. When Arya heard this, he walked over to the orderlies and informed them that this man, this patient, was his relative, and he would check on him and see to his continued welfare. From then on, he visited the man every Rosh Chodesh and always brought along a little, a little gift. He realized what the man had been lacking, a relative. 
Ravarie filled the void and became his relative. This is 101.9, this is the importance of the mitzvah of Bikuchan. It's a hard mitzvah to fulfill. And, and many, and many, which, as you said, we, many, which, many of us shy away from. We don't know what to say, what to do. It's just to go there and really see what can I do. Maybe I just need to sort of tidy up the, the, the area around his bed. Maybe I need to get him something. Maybe he needs a nurse. Maybe he needs something to drink. But there's so many things we can do. It's not just about having a schmooze or making yourself feel better. Oh, I came, I came and I visited. There's so much we can do. We just have to know how to do it. This is the mitzvah of Yukachalim and this is even found in our Pasha. It's one one for nine high FM soul to soul. Please stay with us. There's so much more to come. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM soul to soul back on your radio here in Johannesburg on Air Shabbos Kaidish. Parshas Kairach, which also today is the second day of Rosh Kaidish, Tammuz. And we're going to discuss a very, very interesting issue in the Parsha. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu was about to pronounce a terrible, terrible punishment over Korach. And he says, Moshe now inform their faces. And they say, Kel. Hashem, who is the God of spirits, of all flesh, one person sins, because Baruch was about to take revenge against all of Klaiso. And very interesting, why does Moshe and Aaron use the word Kel? Kel, we know, is a one of the names of God that denotes mercy. As in fact, Rashi brings in Pasha's Kisisa, where we talk about Kel Rachum Hanun, and Rashi says, Avzumi Rachamim. This is also part of God's attribute of of mercy. And that's why we say, Keli, Keli, Loma Zavtani, why you abandon me? And there, of course, it's it's mercy. And and he says, that's in the Machilta. And we know that Havaya, the Shem Yudke Vavke, is also Midasarachim. So he could have said, Hashem Elokei Aruchas. Why does he dafka use the word kel? So maybe we can, to explain it, we can use the words, you forgive me, the words of the, of the Baal Shem Tov on the Pasuk, which we say on Wednesday morning for the Shushayam. We say, kel nekamay Hashem. Hashem is the God of vengeance. And he asks, one second, if kel again is, is chesed, is, is, is Rasmim, as it says, Chesed, Kel, Kalayayim. Kel is the name of Chesed. How do you put that together with Kel Nekama? It's the God of vengeance. Vengeance is not very Chesedic. So he explains that there are two ways that a Kodesh Baruch Hu punishes someone who does, who does Averis. One is with terrible suffering and, and harsh judgments, which is appropriate to the sin that he committed. And the second way is by HaKadosh Baruch Hu pouring down on that person many good things. And he brings the marshal to someone who sinned against a very big and prestigious king. And the, the, the scope of his crime was such that according to the law, he was liable to the death penalty or some other very serious punishment. But this king was a very kind and benevolent uh, king and only wanted to do good and not to cause pain or suffering to anyone. And therefore, the king commanded to bring this person into the royal court and to be nice to him. And, you know, from, from the palace, they would, they would, they would take care of him. And, he, and his hope was that maybe the reason why he did this, this, this sin was because he didn't know. He didn't know the the, the greatness and, and the glory of, of this, of this king. And that's why he acted that way. And if you would recognize the tremendous, tremendous uh, respect that this king deserves, then for sure he wouldn't have had the chutzpah to do something like that. 
And now if he's going to be in the proximity of the king in the king's court, he's going to recognize that what a terrible sin he did and he'll be embarrassed from, from, from that and, and he'll, he'll lower himself. So when the man, the person that did the Avero, when he lived in the proximity to the king, so he began really to recognize the greatness of the king. And he started thinking to himself, well, how can I have done this terrible sin against him, against such a big and merciful and, and righteous king? And you know, really, the king really should have, should have punished me severely. And now look what he's doing. He's doing so many good things to me. And he began to regret and he began to be embarrassed because of, of what he had done. And when the king saw that he was starting to become a little bit, a little bit more, more contrite, a little bit more sorry. So then he commanded to bring him even closer and to give him a slightly higher position. And the more he came closer to the king, the more he understood, the more he had dealings with the king, the more he understood the greatness of the king. And not only that, and, and therefore he was even more uh, uh, humble and more and more kind of, uh, 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 you know, embarrassed in front of, of the king from a very, very deep place in his heart that he had rebelled against such a, such a king. And who not only didn't punish him, but was giving him good instead of, instead of bad. And the more he recognized his, his sin, so the king kept raising him higher and higher and closer and closer and, and giving him even, even more. And that would cause him to become even more contrite and more embarrassed, right? That, 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 uh, until he saw the tremendous kindness that the king was doing it. it was, that itself was like a, 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 a sword plunged into his heart. He was so, he was so embarrassed. And because of his embarrassment, it was, it was, uh, it would have been almost like better if the king had punished him with a terrible punishment rather than what he did to him so many, so many good things. And, and that's also sometimes the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu sort of speaks, avenges with his mercy and his kindness someone who sinned against him. Because the fact that someone got so many favors from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, instead of the sins that he did, that's what causes him to be, be subjugate himself and to, and to have this embarrassment. And the, the, all the good things that he receives, those are literally like stabbings. They remind, I hey, look how terrible I, I am. That's Kel Nekomai Sashem. That sometimes Hashem takes revenge by doing Chesed and, and, and mercy. However, this approach can only work if this, to, to a person who understands that he doesn't deserve all the good things that he's going. When he Taka sees them as being something that's completely unexpected and undeserved, and it's all from the chesed of Hashem, then it can work, it's, it can work that way, and he can lower himself and become even more grateful and even more uh, ashamed of what he had done. And, and then he'll come to even closer relationship to HaKadosh Baruch. But someone who doesn't have that feeling, and his, both his, uh, his mind, and his heart are, 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 are sealed. And on the contrary, he might, uh, 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 rebel even more. And, and, uh, he'll think that, you know, oh, this, I, I, I deserve this, right? I deserve all the things that I'm getting. Look what a great person I am. So then obviously, Akash can't treat him in that way. And Akash would have to go with the standard approach of, of, of meeting out punishments. In fact, as, uh, the Gemara in Cholin says, that Hashem says about the Jewish nation, It's not because you're so numerous amongst the nations that Hashem desires you. You are the smallest, the most diminutive. So the one says, You know I love you so much. Even when I give you greatness, you make yourself small. For instance, I gave so much greatness to Avram, and what does he say? I'm nothing but dust and ashes. I gave, but on the other hand, I gave Gedula to Nimrod, and what does he say? Let's go build a city to get rid of Akadosh Baruch I gave greatness to Paro, what does he say? Me, Hashem, who's God? I don't, I don't know any gods. You know, it's that Yisrael 
come from through the kindnesses that Hashem does for them, they come to realize, wow, Kodesh Baruch is so great, and look what he's doing to me. I have to really humble myself in front of him. But the Goyim, they just, it just makes them more and more arrogant, and they, and they are, are even more determined to free themselves from any connection to, to, to our Kodesh Baruch. So therefore, we can say as follows. The, the lack of Kodesh was that he didn't recognize and he wasn't prepared to be cognizant of all the kindnesses, all the greatness he had received from HaKadosh Baruch And he still wanted, with Gietzlah complaints, I want more. As in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu says to him, what, is it not enough for you that HaKadosh Baruch has separated you from amongst the Jewish nation and, and made you share with Levi, which makes you already closer than anybody else? And you're busy doing the Avoid and the Mishkan. You get to carry all the, all the holy things. You get to, to run the Mishkan, you get to stand before HaKadosh Baruch and serve him. And, 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 and he brought you and all the Levi together. And now what? That's not enough. Now you want to be the Kayanim, the Kayanim also? Then not enough. He had no appreciation. And the Malbim explains what he means to say is, right? Uh, why, why did you arouse this whole fight against Moshe? What? It has nothing to do with you and, and your Shevet Levi. Well, because your Shevet already merited tremendous, tremendous benefit and advantage and, and advantages, uh, uh, much more than the rest of the Jewish nation. You're already close to Akkadish Baruch closer than all of them, right? You get to run, run the Mishkan. So you're, 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 you're the Mishorsim. You're the ones that's, that, that, that serve Akkadish Baruch And now you get to, and you get to carry the Oran and the Klei Akkadish. Is that not enough? For you, and you want even even more. In other words, by Kairach, Kodesh Baruch couldn't give him this beautiful uh, uh, handshake of Kel Nekamas Hashem, of showering good on him. Because even if Hashem would have given good things, that that wouldn't have he wouldn't have come. He was so full of himself, so full of his arrogance, he would never have come to subjugate himself before Kodesh Baruch And therefore, Moshe says, Kel. Says, right, one person sins and the whole nation, you're gonna hang, in other words, even though that if Koirach, Koirach couldn't have been treated with this golden, golden way of Hashem punishing by giving him all the good, because he would never understand it. But maybe, perhaps with the rest of the Jewish nation, you could still use that uh, conduct with the other sinners and maybe with them. Because they don't have such a terrible uh, 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 lack in their need of, of Akkara sometimes. Maybe with them you could you could pour down good for them, and they will, and they will lower themselves. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, uh, argument to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Have mercy on everybody, on everybody else. Perhaps you can even explain further, based on what Rabbi Yosef Chaim says. He says uh, that the Ari Akkadosh said that through the Averis done down here on this earth, that uh, that causes that the forces of evil are allowed to plug themselves in and almost uh, 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 kidnap and utilize some of the names of, of or, or some of the letters at least, of the names of HaKadosh Baruch for example, in Mitzrayim, because of the sins of that generation, that caused that Paro and Mitzrayim were able to, to sustain themselves from two letters, from the letter Mem and the letter Yud, in the name of, of Elekim. And therefore, and that's what it means when Paro says, Mi v'mi ha'oyochim. Who's, who's going to use Mi v'mi? The Mem and the Yud. In other words, Paro was afraid Maybe when they go, he's going to lose that ability to have to have a, a, a connection to those letters, to those letters of of, of Akkadish Baruch, and then they're going to just just die because if you're not plugged into to Akkadish Baruch, then you have no you have no life force at all. And that's what he says. Me even me, what are you taking away my connection to Akkadish Baruch when when you when you leave? And maybe so. Based on that, we could say. That when Paro says, his intention was, Paro said to Moshe, what do you want? You, you want to go? What do you think that if you go, 
you're gonna you're gonna merit to go into Eretz Yisrael, but you know you're gonna sin with the sin of the Egel, and with by doing that you're going to uh, uh, cause uh, cause damage to the letters Mem Yud in the name of Elohim, and you're gonna sin again with the Moraglim, and again you're going to ruin those two letters in the name of Elohim, and that's me for me, right? That that uh, that. Uh, the, the judgments against you are going to be so harsh, and and uh, and then how Hulkim, you you're, you're not going to make it. You're going to die in Eretz Yisrael before you get to Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe answers him and says, "No, don't worry. We're going with our children and with our elderly, because even though there will be a gezera, a terrible decree <clears throat> on the generation of the spies that they're all going to die, but binoreinu, we have our children." And we have Zekanyan, we have our oldest, those who are over 60. They're not going to die. And they will get into, they will get into, into, uh, into Eretz Yisrael. So that perhaps is here also. Uh, uh, also when, when, uh, Esav meets, uh, Yaakov. And, uh, he says to him, says, me, Eidelach. Esav asks Yaakov, who are these to you? In other words, <laughs> You think you're gonna, you're, you're going any places, Yaakov. You, we know you're gonna sin by the, by the Muraglim, and you're gonna, uh, 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 ruin those letters, Mem Yud, of the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore you're not gonna go there to show. So, so Yaakov, you know, answers him, yeah. It's alright. The Gezer is not gonna be on the children, and the children will be going to it. So they haven't ruined the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But here, by the chait of, of Koyrach. Here it says, the dosen vaviram yotsun utsam, yotsun come out standing tall by their tent and unashem with their wives and the kids and the little children. And now she says, oh, look how terrible machlekes is. Bezdin in, uh, uh, down here only punishes from the age of adulthood. And Bezdin Shamala only punishes from the end of twenty. And here, even little children were going to die. In other words, by the chait of Kairach, even the little children were punished. Comes out that when Paro said, Mi va mi and Moshe Rabbeinu said, yeah, don't worry, the kids will survive. That wouldn't work over here. Because the children didn't, didn't ruin Hashem. Said, That's not going to work by Kairach. Because uh, uh, here, that by the chait of Kairach, even the children caused damage, and therefore they too are going to be are going to be die, are going to die. Therefore, when Mo- when Moshe Rabbeinu davened, he couldn't use the word Elakim because the word Elakim had been ruined by the head of Kairach. There was no way out. There was no saving grace. There were no children that were going to be saved. The children are going to be punished also, and therefore he could just use the word Kel, and you couldn't use the whole word. The whole world, word, Elohim, because the Mem and Yud of the Shem Lakim have already been, have already been so badly damaged that there was nothing, nothing else he could, uh, he could do. And you didn't have the answer that he had, that he had previously. Interesting was just, just before we, before we, we end this segment, you know that, uh, uh, one of Kairach's henchmen was someone called Ayn Ben Pelis. And Amir was committed to the, to the cause, but, uh, uh, his wife convinced him not to go. Cause his wife said, well, what do you have to gain? If Moshe wins, you're going to be a disciple. If Koyach wins, you're going to, yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no vested interest for you. He says, yeah, but I already committed. She says, don't worry. Made him drunk, put him to sleep. And she sat outside with her hair uncovered. And whenever they saw her, anyone who came to call on ran away. They weren't interested. In, in his, in, uh, they weren't interested anymore because of the fact that, that she got her hair, that her, that her hair out. In contrast, Kairas' wife was exactly the opposite. She was inciting Kairach. And she said to him, look what, look what Moshe did to you. He became a king. His brother Aaron became the Kohen Gadol. His, uh, his, uh, his nephews all became the deputy Kohenim. Right? And look what he's done to you. He's cut off all your hair. And, and he, and he picked you up and he, and he picked you up like a, like a, like a toy doll and, 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 and waved you, waved you uh, around. Right? And you're probably just, 
probably was jealous, says Moshe. He was jealous of your hair. And that's why he made you all bald, which of course was part of the ceremony of dedicating Levine that they had to have their, their hair shaved. But she used that as grist for her mill to, to, to incite Korach against, against, uh, against, uh, Moshe. Right? And again, uh, 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 he, uh, it says also he took his talis and he went to, to ask his wife and, uh, and, uh, and what, what he should do. And, and again, she said, look at you, look at, look at, look at your hair. There's a big emphasis here on, on hair. Uh, uh, own man Pellis was saved by hair. Mrs. Karach incited because of, because of, of, uh, of, of hair. So the, the, the content of Benny Shai says, that shaving of the hair is very, very, is a very, very precious thing. And Chazal say in Yushami that there was this one Kayan who had no Parnassah and wanted to run away to, 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 to Chutzlar to make a Parnassah. But before he went, he taught his wife how to be, be able to diagnose Tsaras on people. And he was talking about Tsaras on the air. He said, you know, the hair is amazing. Every single hair has its own follicle that it grows. And if they would go out of the same place, a person would become virtually blind. And his wife says, why don't you listen to what you're saying? You're saying that every hair has its own source, has its own place and where it comes. Don't you believe, therefore, that a Kurdish who also can provide you with your source upon us? Why do you have to go to Chutzlaritz? And, 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 and he didn't. So the concept of, of the hair is an Indian of, of Emuna. That when a person uh, 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 believes that that uh, 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 somehow Hakadosh Baruch can't can't take care of them, and and perhaps with with uh, Korach also, that Korach and his Ada they had a in 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 Emuna they didn't believe that everything comes from Hakadosh Baruch that if they had a little bit of Emuna they wouldn't have been jealous of of Moshe and Aaron right and and therefore the wife of Oyman Pelas who saved her husband. Right? She, she, oh, she revealed her hair as if to say to them, look, in the same way that all, every single hair has a separate, a separate follicle. So to Akadosh looks after everyone and gives everyone exactly what they need and nothing happens that isn't predetermined by Akadosh as opposed to Kairos' wife, who was exactly the opposite. We'll be back in a moment. Stay tuned. We got lots more coming. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, Salt to Salt, back on your right here on Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas, Kerach, second day of Rosh Chodesh. Thomas, so glad you had a few minutes to stay with us and learn some Torah, become inspired. As we do at this point on the show, let us uh, share the important details, the important times that we need to know for this coming Shabbos. So the earliest time for lighting candles and getting our Shabbos started this week is at 17 minutes past four, just barely, almost now. You can uh, get ready and uh, have your shower and get the house ready. And already shortly after quarter past four, you can light the candles and start making Kiddush. And you can have almost, uh, you know, after you daven, you can have a, a very early dinner with the kids up and and uh, make it a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos, a long Friday night. The latest time, for lighting Shabbos candles, this Shabbos is five minutes past five. Five or five is the latest lighting candles, which means Shkia is at 523. Better make sure you're getting things on long before 523. And therefore, if you want to dive in and not have to repeat Krishna, 541 is that target time. Once you, once you're past that time, you can say Krishna and not have to repeat at night, and as I say, you got a really great Friday night, lots of time to go to the Pasha, do some Rashi, spend some beautiful time with the family, have a wonderful, wonderful Suda with some nice Amiris and some nice Divretera, make an amazing, amazing and beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. Tomorrow morning, we will read Be'ez Hashem Pasha's Korach, and the normal Haftarah for Pasha's Korach, which comes from the book of Shmuel. Uh, in the afternoon, Pirkeyavis, we're learning this week, Perik Dalid, the fourth Perik of Pirkeyavis, and Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 5.57, 
three minutes before six o'clock. Last time, I think by next week, it's already going back. It's already getting getting later. And uh, so don't let the cold weather fool you. We're almost about to begin to begin summer. And I say that with half a tongue in in uh, in in cheek. And then this week we're into Chodesh Tammuz. We have still two, three weeks before the fast of Shavasama Tammuz, which will come up uh, oh, in another two weeks, Sunday in, in two weeks. There's plenty of time still to listen to music and, and do your entertainment stuff. We are learning the laws of Erev, Erev Shabbos. Uh, we were talking last week about what malacha, what work can be done late in the afternoon on, on Friday on Friday afternoon. Um, and a few things left in that category before we go on to speak about uh, things that you're allowed to start doing on Friday, uh, even though they won't get finished on Friday. Generally speaking, business, buying and selling, that kind of thing, according to many, many of the of the Paitzkim, of the halachic authorities, is not included in the prohibition of work. And therefore won't be allowed. Let's say if one runs a shop, one can keep one's shop open during those afternoon hours on Friday. But nevertheless, one must make sure that one closes his shop at least, at least half an hour. But generally before that, because you have to get home and you have to have a shower and get ready. Uh, I, I would definitely take a, a, a dim view on, on sort of staying open till the very, very last minute, give yourself enough time so you can get home like a mensch and get ready for Shabbos and be able to be in shul on time for, for the beginning of, of Mincha, that you can have a chance to, to have a bath and to get dressed in, in, honor of, in honor of Shabbos. Today we're actually a little bit more strict and we kind of uh, request that people close their shop several hours before before Shabbos, especially if you have to, uh, you know, get from one side of town to the other and traffic, you always have to count on things taking at least doubly as long as, as you might imagine they would. And maybe only those shops that are directly selling things for, for Shabbos, your, your corner, your corner grocery, etc. Those shops could remain open until closer to, to, uh, Shabbos, says the, says the Mishnah Burra. If someone is traveling uh, to be somewhere else on Shabbos, so you need to plan your journey in such a way that you can definitely get to your destination long before, at least an hour before Shabbos starts, so that you can organize yourself and sit down and take a deep breath and go into and go into, into, into Shabbos. And if the journey is long, then you need to take into account, right, uh, traffic and, and accidents, God forbid, that could happen on, on, on the way. And, and many Rabbonim <coughs> advise that let's say however long the, the journey is, one should times it by two and a half and, and start. So if you are for some reason, uh, getting a timeshare and you intend to travel all the way to, I don't know, Belito or something on, on a Friday, and however long the journey takes, uh, double it and add 50%. And then, then you're leaving yourself enough time to get there. And of course, the schooler usually works that if you leave yourself more than enough time, it goes very quickly. Everything works well. It's when you try to push it. And try to say, no, I can do it in this time. If I really travel at 160, I can do it in less time. That, that's when things start to, that things start to fall apart. The Rabbani Shalom doesn't like that. Shem wants us to take our time and do it, and do it properly so we can get to our destination relaxed and, and in a, in a, in a calm state of mind and get organized for, for, for Shabbos. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, generally, uh, traveling on Friday is not a good idea, really. It, there are too many things, there have been too many stories I've heard or even experienced that, that it's just, uh, 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 it's, it's just full of stress and full of problems. And, you know, it can, it can lead to all sorts of interesting things and getting stuck in, 
interesting, some not so interesting places for, for Shabbos. It just isn't, isn't worth. And that goes for driving. That goes for flying. It, it's really better to avoid the, the, that whole situation, if at all possible, on, on, on a Friday. Okay. Now we get to issues of types of work that you're allowed to begin on Shabbos. And they're going to carry on kind of being done by themselves on, on Shabbos. So one is allowed on Friday to perform certain acts of malacha that will sort of carry on and complete by themselves during the course of Shabbos. Let's say, for example, I can put on a, on a boiling hot Plata or, or, or hatchray, right? I can take a pot that has in it food which is raw in order that it will continue to cook throughout, throughout the Shabbos. So I'm putting it on the stove before Shabbos. The condition being that at the time when Shabbos uh, uh, comes in and from that time until <clears throat> the food is properly cooked. You won't touch the pot at all, and you won't in any way adjust its heat, as we'll see, as we'll see uh, 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 later on. So, as long as I've done my act of putting it on the fire before Shabbos, the fact that it's going to cook on Shabbos is not is not a malacha. Then, uh, uh, right? I can take. I can take various materials, various cloths, and I can put them in vats which have dye in it in order that they should get dyed during the course of the Shabbos. As long as I put them in before Shabbos, the fact that it's happening by itself on Shabbos is not an issue. And, and this is because because the, the, the prohibition of work and activity on Shabbos takes effect only on things that a person does on Shabbos itself, and not on anything which is going to sort of happen by itself during the course of uh, of, of Shabbos. Now we do have a, 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 a discussion in the Gemara where Beishamai is of the opinion that in the same way as a person is obligated not to allow his animals to work on. Shabbos, that his animals have to rest, so too, he says, one is obligated that even all your utensils, all your vessels should rest from doing any malacha on Shabbos. But we hold, like the opinion of Basilo, that there's no prohibition of Shabbos that takes effect on, on the vessels, on the implements, on, on the, on the things belonging to, to a person, except an animal, and therefore, a person is allowed to do, to use his materials, his kalim, and, and do malacha on Friday, which will then be finished by itself on, uh, on, on, on Shabbos. Therefore, I'm allowed, let's say, to set on Shabbos my Shabbos clock, uh, that, uh, the lights can go on and off. On, on, on Shabbos according, according to the, to the, uh, to the need. Okay, we're gonna come back in a moment with a few closing comments. This is 11.9 FM. The program is sold to soul on the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM sold to soul. We're back on the radio for a few more minutes as we finish up today's program, we're talking about the preparation for Erev Shabbos. So we just said you're allowed to set your time switch to turn lights on and off before Shabbos. One can sort of set a, 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 a your, your irrigation system to go on and off, even though obviously one cannot water one's garden on, on, uh, on Shabbos. But since you set it before Shabbos, and it's happening by itself. There's no prohibition with that at uh, at all. Same thing 
if you need, let's uh, say, your factory, and you have production machines that work just continuously for many days at a time, so long as there's no uh, uh, even a, a suspicion that a Jew would need to get involved to to put them on or fix them during the course of Shabbos, you don't have to stop their 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 working during during uh, during Shabbos. As far as any work though that makes very very large noise, like let's say a a a, a mill or something like that. Well, we have an issue of Avshel Milsa. It could be a bit of a of a denigration of of Shabbos to have this noise going. So there, there's there's an argument. There's some who are strict and say that you're not allowed to let noisy machines work on Shabbos at uh, at all because of the fact that it's a lack of honor of Shabbos. And some say that since you put on the machines before. Shabbos and on Shabbos, no malacha is being done at all. There's no iser at all. In fact, that's the way the Shulchan Aruch paskins in, in Reish Nunbeis. However, the Ramah, uh, says that certainly, lechatkel, in the first instance, one should be strict not to begin any kind of malacha that's going to create a lot of a noise, a lot of commotion on, uh, on, uh, on Shabbos. But if there's a situation of significant loss that could be caused if one doesn't do it or there's some other a tremendous need for it there is room to be to be lenient in that uh in that uh, in that situ- situation right uh, uh and obviously uh, um many would attach to this the concept of listening to radio or watching television even if they were set before Shabbos, but since those are, are implements that do create a, a bit of noise, it may be problematic, in fact, to, to do that on, on, uh, on Shabbos. If there's something you have to see, then, uh, I don't know if they still have these things called video machines. You could, uh, uh, record it and, and see it after, after Shabbos or something like that. Or look, the truth is, if you don't see it, it's probably also the end of the, you know, especially if you're going to find out the score in shul on Shabbos, and then there's no fun watching a game where you know the final score uh, anyway. Speaking of the final score, it's the final score of our show. Is that it's time for us to run and do our last-minute preparations for Shabbos. And just thank each and every one of you for being part of our radio family. Please give us some feedback, give us some comment. Do you like what we're doing? Do you not like what we're doing? Would you like it done another way? Please contact either the station or myself, uh, directly, those who need to know my number will find it out. And let me just wish every single one of our radio family a beautiful, warm, unified, inspiring, and uplifting. Good Shabbos to one and to all.